Good morning. It is good to be together as God's people in one place, uh, sharing at least the hour and life together. Our call to worship this morning is taken from the book of Psalms. I've set it up responsively, so I'll begin. You respond and we'll enter into the presence. I draw our hearts and minds there and then sing to his glory. We begin this way. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases? Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with life and passion? Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's begin a worshipful expression of joy. It's hymn number 581, stand as you're able. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Amen. And have a seat if you would. Good. Thank you. Always my joy to welcome you to worship here on site. As I say from time to time, I see each face as an answer to my prayers through the week. Father, bring those that you would want to be a part of this moment. And I'm thankful as well for those we're able to share life with across our live stream or the recorded uh, service that we're able to gather here, but also share with you and include that is a marvelous thing that the Father has done. 
Couple of quick things as we think about the week first. Right after the worship, we'll gather. I encourage you to stay and use the name tag, get to know somebody, say hello. Uh, we'll have coffee, munchies, juice. About 10.30, I'll begin a, a kind of question and answer, an open mic time to ask me and pursue with other things. Room number one downstairs, always happy to interact and be a part of that. Um, those are the things happening for today. Some things coming up on our slides. First of all, Monday, there'll be a blood drive. You can sign up and, again, just make a blood donation. That goes where most needed. Uh, next Saturday night, Campfire Fellowship. We've just gathered about once a month on the uh, back property there to enjoy the fellowship and the time together. It's been a full and busy summer already. I continue to um, be really excited as we live out this mission. I want to touch this each Sunday that part of what we believe God has called Hard Awake Ministries, both Celebration, Watershed, and Fusion, called us to be as a people who welcome everyone, invite them to join the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Jesus Christ. With all the pressures of the world, to be found in this identity or formed by this experience or following that voice, we want to stay centered on the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so that's our call and our goal. One big way we did that this summer, let's uh, go back and check the video. It's kind of a one-minute recap of our Summer Serve Week right here. Just the energy. You've got to be excited about what God has done. And I'm always appreciative of the whole community that helps us do that and be a part of things. So we like to share that as well. I'm going to ask uh, my colleague, I don't want to call him boss, but <laughs> Darwin, if he'd come, he's got two items of information for you. Come on up, Darwin. <laughs> Good morning. I'm Darwin Glassford, the executive pastor here. I have a couple of updates for you that I'd like to share with you. Um, this past Wednesday evening, we held a um, dinner um, on behalf of Luke Kerrig and Kelsey, who are serving in Ireland. And I just want you to know that over $14,000 was pledged or donated last Wednesday night to support Luke and Kelsey um, and their ministry in Ireland. So thank you to the community. Give yourselves a round of applause. Um, second thing. Last um, January, um, two, I don't know how to describe them, um, two interesting characters in this community, um, Cal and John, and you, most of you will know who I'm referring to, 
um, encouraged me to speak someone, to someone about becoming our music and choir director. And that began an incredibly long conversation over the period of about five months that was incredibly formative, I think, for them and for us. Um, but that individual decided to take a position in um, another part of the country. And as he was um, informing us of that, we asked for a recommendation or if anybody he knew who could come and serve as um, a music um, choir and, and bell director for us. And that began a conversation um, with Justin Rito, who many of you um, experienced this past Sunday, who led the choir and did a bell, who led the choir and did um, a rehearsal for um, um, the bell, the bell group. Um, I'm pleased to um, inform you that we have secured the services of Justin Rito um, part-time beginning August 13, and he'll be joining um, our staff part-time as the um, choir and bell director for the celebration community. So I'm very excited about that and happy to tell you that he's going to be joining us. And um, just to also, yeah. So um, with that, I just want, um, in our desire to be transparent, just want to know we are able to, um, to make some adjustments to the budget um, within the larger Hardwick Ministries for um, this coming year. Um, and that in reality, though, um, it is going to add about a $4,000 expense to the budget this year that we had not planned. So I just want to be upfront with you about that, um, that we are taking on that expense in faith. We believe that God has brought Justin to us, and we believe that God will provide those additional funds um, as we've secured his services. So let me say a word of prayer really quickly. Gracious Father, we thank you very much for your graciousness in our lives, and we thank you for the way that you've poured out your blessings on us. First, you poured out your blessings in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us, and that as we continue to wrestle with what it means to be found in, as we are being formed by the Holy Spirit, and as we seek to encourage each other to follow Christ faithfully, we do this through the power and work of your Spirit. We thank you for the generosity of this community and the generosity of the Hardwick community as a whole in support of Luke and Kelsey. And we thank you that you have brought Justin to us. And as we, um, as we minister together, we pray, Lord, that you will continue to build on the good work being done here in the Celebration community as we expand and as we enhance um, the music ministry. So we pray your blessings on Justin as he prepares to join us. We pray for your blessings on Justin, Bill, and Jane as they learn to work together. And we trust that God will continue to pour out his blessings on the Celebration community. In Christ's name, amen. I really, I want to share one quick story if I can, because I think it's important. Um, and it speaks well of, the of you all. When we began talking with Justin, um, when I, or when I was talking to Justin the other week, he shared this with me. He said, when you approached me first about this position, um, I was intrigued by the job. Okay, I was intrigued by the job. He said, after meeting um, with Bill, after meeting with people in the celebration community, after working with the choir on Sunday morning, after working with those who play bells, I really want to work here. And that is an exciting change in posture, an exciting change in posture, and I'm looking forward to a very fruitful ministry um, as he joins um, the staff here. As two of the... Um, high school students said to me after bell rehearsal last week, 
That was fun. So if you want to have fun, I encourage you to join the bell choir when Justin gets going. Thank you. Yeah, what, what exciting news. I, I tell you one of the things that excited me Wednesday, we were able in one night to pay off all of Luke and Kelsey's seminary debt. One of the challenges in the United States anymore is to get through your educational process debt-free. Most don't. They had debt left over from seminary that is now gone as they go back to Ireland to do church planting and renewal. Exciting stuff. The journey to end up with Justin was so formative. It was long but good. We could do that because we were rooted in the gospel that brings hope and strength and joy. Uh, we're a community that seeks to be rooted in something bigger than ourselves. One way we express that is with this historic statement of faith. It's the way brothers and sisters several centuries earlier reflected on the faith in their time and, in a sense, speak to us centuries later. So we've been using a question from the Heidelberg Catechism with each passage I'm preaching from with the Lord's Prayer. So uh, let's use this again. We'll begin with the fifth petition. Uh, question number 126, I'll ask the question. What does the fifth petition mean? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors means. Because of Christ's blood, do not hold against us, poor sinners that we are, any of the sins we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. Forgive us just as we are fully determined as evidence of your grace in us to forgive our neighbors. I love that statement as evidence of your grace in us. The forgiving fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives for others is not the effort of our determination. It's the evidence of God's grace in us. Let's sing about that. I'll tell you another evidence of God's grace that I love. Um, having been in ministry for a number of years, I recognize these moves of the Spirit in the life of a congregation as people begin to identify their calling and gifts and invest. I love to cultivate God's work. And this is uh, kind of in celebration with Justin, a song by one of our own folks, John Swearingo. Let's stand and sing together because of the cross.
Amen. Have a seat. One of the things that has really struck me about this segment of the Lord's Prayer last week, this week, and next is it's couched in a segment that would teach us the importance of asking. Imagine the creator of the universe, the sovereign God of heaven, teaches us to ask of him. And the reason he does that is because in asking, we engage. We speak with God, not simply shout things to him. We engage with God and God guides us. As we ask, he directs us. We, we do that with our children. We do that with friends, ask a question. We guide and direct. So it's this engagement to be taught. That's a part of the asking and that's a posture of the heart. Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, thank you for your great and marvelous work. Thank you that you've loved us supremely at the cross where you made open the doorway to adoption and relationship with you. Thank you for the great work of Jesus. Thank you as well that you've called us to be a part of this uh, community, Hardawike. We thank you that we're able to call Justin uh, as part of the ministry of what you're doing here, the next step in our mission. Thank you that we can invest in a really unique and good way with the Carrick family as they serve in Ireland. Thank you for the good news to hear uh, as Luke left his interim position here and went back to Ireland, his own home, just the, the fruitfulness we've seen in these several years of his ministry there. Thank you that because of our relationship uh, in him and through him, we're able to be a part of Ireland's future. Father, we pray for Pastor Aaron and Watershed our sister community, that as Aaron brings to that part of our body the great news of forgiveness and the hope of the gospel, be with them. Give them anointing this day. And for Pastor JB, just across the hall with the Fusion community, and for Pastor Florencio, who'll be right here in a few hours in the Spanish language with Mission. We beseech you, Father, to make your word compelling and clear. Thank you for your marvelous work among us here in celebration. Most of all, bring us to the cross and bring us together that by your grace we might encourage, that by your grace we may walk with even through hard times, but in shared life in you we might see the goodness of your fruit. I'm going to give you just a moment in the silent sanctuary of your heart is the way I often refer to it, to just lift to the Lord the intercessions that you brought here, a, a friend, a family member of need, of expression of gratitude, a call to reach out to them, whatever it may be. Just take this moment, lift to the Lord. Father, your word teaches us to pray for those in authority over us, and so in our regular cycle of praying, we pray for those in authority in the state of Michigan. Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Attorney General Nessel and Secretary of State Benson. For our representatives in the House, Nancy DeBoer and Bradley Slay. For State Senator Roger Victory. Father, we thank you for the blessing that comes from just and ordered government. Uh, we weep as we watch the news in Haiti and see the breakdown of that very thing. So we pray that in this state, 
You'd establish your justice. You'd guide um, leaders, administrators, people in bureaus and offices that they might uh, govern justly and with a sense of accountability to you and to the people of the state. We pray as well, Father, for the missionaries that go out from Hardawike, for Ruth Kampazic as she returns from a week in Spain. Uh, flight delays in Chicago have been a headache. We pray that she'd be safe and home. We pray for Mika's lunch that is a, a feeding school children in Dominican Republic, many of them uh, refugees from another part of the island in Haiti. So again, we're connected to one of the key moments in our history. Father, I thank you for Scotty Smith, who's guided my own prayers. As we meditate on Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Jesus, thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work within us to make us encouragers, one to the other. Not flatterers, because flattery is just manipulation dressed up in a smile and a party dress. You've not called us to be fear mongers or worry warts, projecting our anxieties and vexation on each other. Neither do you want us to be free roaming critics, offering our opinions and judgments about everything and everyone. Rather, the gospel sets us free to be encouragers, those committed to love, serve, and catch each other doing it right affirming what is commendable, overlooking what is annoying, seeing what you see in each of us. Instead, encouragement is nothing more than the overflow of how you have loved us, Lord Jesus. No one is more committed to our peace, joy, and encouragement than you. We say hallelujah and thank you. Father, you've taught your disciples, those who would follow you in every tribe and tongue and nation across centuries, You've taught us to pray, modeled after the way Jesus apparently prayed. And so we do exactly that using the words that he taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I wanted to change things up and do some extra singing together. One heart, one voice, pondering the truth of God. Stand as you're able. It's um, hymn number 498. Let us sing together. Our help is in the name of the Lord.
going to ask you to remain standing as you're able and hear the scripture for this morning as I preach. I'll begin reading at Matthew chapter 6. Jesus told them, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Later, Paul would reflect on the gospel and write these words from Ephesians. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another instead, forgiving each other just as Christ in, just as in Christ God forgave you. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat if you would, please. And let me turn to the Father and pray as we enter in. Father, thank you that Matthew the tax collector, uh, apparently there at the Sermon on the Mount to hear and record and be shaped, would eventually put it in writing that Paul would hear those same stories having come to faith uh, uh, afterwards. And he would reflect on its meaning and write to his church, that the one he had planted in Ephesus. And in an amazing way, those writings superintended by your grace so that we might know and understand, preserved across centuries, now we can open them as it were, translate, study, ponder, pray. We pray that your word would be more than simply a precept for our behavior. Make it instead a window by your grace to enter in to the life we were called to. Fill us with great hope this day. Teach us to pray even as Jesus taught us. Give us a, a joyous obedience that comes from knowing and following him. We pray in his mighty name and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. Well, have you ever been in one of those awkward moments at a public service, uh, the pastor does what he does, and then he says, let us pray and praise, and then he prays the Lord's Prayer, and you get to that spot. You get to that spot. And forgive us our debt passes, as we forgive those who have debt passed against us. Very often, and by the way, if you're following in the outline, I've skipped right ahead to Roman numeral two. Don't be concerned, this was the plan. People often ask me, which is it, debts or trespasses? And I wanna answer that real simply, it's both and it's more. Like many things in the gospel, if we take the, what God has revealed to us, Genesis to Revelation, we hit more both and moments than either or. I wanna tell you the word for debts is what is there in Matthew 6, 12. Um, and it speaks of owing someone something but not paying it. And it's interesting to me, this is what's recorded in Matthew. And Matthew was a tax collector. Tax collectors would be very taken by debt. That's their business. This was when Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount publicly to these people right at the beginning of his ministry. Later on, 
it's recorded in Luke where his disciples come to him and say, Jesus has prayed, and now they're asking him, teach us to pray. And again, he uses a different Greek word. We get the impression that Jesus prayed this Lord's Prayer, but he prayed it as a model, not as a mantra, not as something to be mindlessly repeated. We get benefit for the number of repeats. No, it's, it's a model that frames and guides our prayer. And one of the messages in this is that we see in the Scripture through careful study that there are multiple words used to speak of the impact of sin on human beings and how that works out. There are multiple metaphors, different times, different settings. It's bigger than any one word. That's the way to think of that. Sometimes we'll use a word for sin that's about crossing the line. Boy, that behavior crosses the line. That's an important perspective. Sometimes it'll speak about sin as mixture. You know, you cannot serve two masters, Jesus said. When your heart reflects a mixture of allegiances, that's a problem. That's sin. We need to be praying about that. Sometimes prayer is about a stain. My life just has this stain on it. People can see I spilt ketchup on myself. That's a problem that needs to be dealt with. That's part of the richness of the language of Hebrew and Greek pointing to this issue of our brokenness, our sin, and its impact on us. Again, let me say real clearly, I often use this word brokenness to speak about the thing that's not quite right with us, the, the lack of enoughness. We're broken, everyone, but that does not mean we are to be thrown away or thrown under the bus. Brokenness is not about no value. It's about living to less than we were called and created to. Sometimes the sin of our hearts is about rebellion. There's a king and we're going our way, not his. Sometimes the things that reflect on sin are much more of a warning. Have you ever wondered about the dietary laws. Now, again, those have been fulfilled in Christ, but what was their value? Here's the Bill Lindner guess. And let's not start a new denomination on this, all right? But I think we weren't supposed to eat bacon back in those days as a warning. It's not for you. Even though it smells so tasty, it will still make you fat or it'll get spoiled and make you sick. Sometimes we need to wrestle with God's revelation about sin in our lives because it's a warning. But other times, friends, it's a straight up debt. Something is rightfully owed and not being paid. If debts are something owed but not paid, what does the Scripture teach us? What would Jesus be thinking about as he taught his um, disciples? Well, several things. The first is this, that we owe something to the Lord. He is the sovereign ruler, the one who's given us life and every good gift. We owe him our lives, our praise, our obedience. I love Psalm 96, 8. It speaks of the glory due his name, and that's a debt word. If you look at the roots there, we owe God glory for who he is. In those moments, 
even the socially acceptable moments when we don't respect God for who He is and give Him the honor due His name, we've incurred a debt. We want that forgiven. Just as important is the um, debt we owe to all other human beings. I say this often. Every person you ever meet will be an image bearer of the living God. They may be a sinner. They may be different country and background than you. It doesn't matter. Human beings all bear the image of God, and on that alone deserve our respect, our kindness, our care. Remember, in the same Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is teaching in here, He will say, love your enemies. So we need to realize as we go through life, there will be enemies. But God calls us to react with them in an instant of love. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, don't refer to a person with contempt. Don't say, raha, fool. Why? Because every person you ever meet is an image bearer of, the God, of God. If you don't treat them with that kind of respect and care and appreciation, friends, you have a debt, not only to them, but to the Lord who made them. Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us what we owe and have not paid to you, O Lord, and to other humans. You see, I think if we'll be honest and at least look from the perspective of the Scripture, it's easy for us to say, well, you know, I'm better than most folks, so I can't be that bad. Well, congratulations. You're better than me on this. The point is, what has God called us to? And so how is it that we deal with our debts, the things we owed but did not pay? What is it about dealing with debts? And this is a point where I wish we had more time and could almost sit down in small groups and process this, because we've got to get past our behaviors to the depth of our hearts. I want you to picture three columns. One is debt owed to the Lord. A second is debt owed to people by us, where I've wounded someone and so owed them a debt, where I've not given them what they were due. But a third is where Debts are owed to us by others, owed to God, owed to me, me owed to others. Now I could ex illustrate with examples in each of these three columns, but for sake of time today, I'm only going to illustrate from one. I want to look at what's owed to us by our fellow humans, that middle column, debts that are owed to us. Friends, I want to tell you. I think we've all lived long enough to realize that there are people who deliberately or accidentally, knowingly or unknowingly, owe us something but don't pay up. They wound us. We end up injured and missing something. It could be family, parents, spouse, coworkers. It could be fellow church members. It could be fellow citizens. Let the Spirit be expansive as you reflect on this in your own heart. How do we respond to those who owe us, those who've wounded us, who've shortchanged us is the term I'd use in light of Matthew and the debt, those who betrayed us or done that to someone we love? Every dad, my guess is, finds that the most challenging. Kick me, but you touch my wife or kids. 
and I'm in a whole different space. There's several patterns of response that I've seen in my own life and the life of others. The first is what I'll just generalize as our desire to deny or to minimize or to, to write off. Oh, it's not that big a thing. Sometimes it is, and Proverbs says in 1911 that it's good to overlook an offense and go on. But we've all been in those moments where, oh, it's an offense and I just don't want to deal with it with you. I'm in denial. There's one thing about giving freedom to another. It's a different thing when we say, oh no, I'm not gonna deal with it, but I'm gonna hold it. You see, deep down, we're not writing off that debt. We're putting it on our balance sheet with that um, relationship. We're looking for payback, and the challenge is we're usually looking for payback with interest. Payback is a, a picture for vengeance. You owe me, and now pay up. A friend of mine that was killed in Afghanistan, I remember navigating that, and we had to protect the family that was left behind. And the people who came in to provide security said, they're from a part of the world where a proverb is, your grandfather killed my grandfather, so my grandson will kill your grandson. That cycle of vengeance can cross generations, the Hatfields and the McCoys. Does anyone in the Dutch community remember people who hold a grudge? Friends, I want to tell you, this is an issue of the human nature and of heart. You see, we're not asking to be forgiven, so how can I forgive them? How many of us have said, well, I'll forgive them once they ask for forgiveness? There's a way to dodge the teaching of Jesus. You don't expect me to forgive them if they keep on doing that behavior that hurts me. Friends, sometimes our forgiving of others are waiting for them to take the first step, and that never gets started in that kind of format. The problem, too, is it's hard to be satisfied with just being paid back over time, the debt festers, it collects interest, if you will. And occasionally, the hardest of all is when I'm owed more than I can cover up. I'm owed more than I can cover, either with emotional uh, payment or just covering up and faking it. The debt that someone owes me, their sin against me, and the wound it causes is just bigger than I can deal with out of my own resources, and it follows me through life. Let me tell you a story from uh, a previous place that I was. There's nothing local you would recognize. I was at another church with a group of friends. We were listening to somebody preach on the topic of forgiveness, and they looked at the passage in Matthew 18, the unforgiving servant. There's one servant who owes a king a bazillion bucks. He gets, gets it paid at no cost to him, and then he goes out and beats up a fellow servant who holds him pocket change. And everybody says, man, that just isn't right to be forgiven that much, but to hold the grudge. And so this pastor opens up that scripture, preaches it. You can sense, I mean, it's perfect lighting and focus. There's graphics, there's video bringing this to the point. And then there's the moment where he tells the story of his own life. 
forgiving and coming to reconciliation and living a joyous life in this relationship for the rest of the time. And then he closes with that picture of a friend of his who didn't forgive. And then, oh, an auto accident. He could never speak and he carried the burden of that unforgiveness with him the rest of his life. Now you had better, when you get home, call that person and forgive them, and you tell them that they're forgiven, and you'll experience the same freedom I did. And we all left. And I remember listening to that sermon. I see now in a way that I didn't do then that he was just giving people a technique. It was pure, eminent frame. There didn't need to be a God, there was a technique. Do this and you'll get that. Now go do it. Later that afternoon on their Facebook site, replies started popping up about people who'd done that and great things that happened, and it was wonderful. And you could just see, it had been a morning and Facebook was confirming it. Except I could hear people as we walked out, and most of those folks were not gonna call anybody in the group of people that I was close with that heard that, there was a woman that Mary Lynn and I had been ministering to. She was in our worship team at a previous church, and I'd actually picked her up from her house one time and taken her to the lawyer. You see, and I won't get you into the details, but a narcissistic husband had essentially abandoned her to raise their two children and one of his by a previous marriage. And I want to tell you, she was not calling him up in that moment. Have you ever been faced with something that's bigger than you're able to deal with? I have. There are those moments where we are wounded, where the debt is incurred that's bigger than we can cover and the person is not willing to pay it back. What is Jesus saying? Forgive them? What do you mean? I want to tell you in ways that I didn't back then, I see now that there's a failing power of transaction. For about 50% of the people in that church, oh, they could muster up the energy and forgive. You know, I forgive you making me pick up that part of lunch three months ago. I've been stewing on it, but I'm going to let it go. Congratulations. Midget, goodness, is that all you've got? Is that all you can do? There's a failing power of transaction. When we think of forgiveness as an exchange, I'll give this in order to get that, then what do you do when forgiveness is not deserved? What do you do when they're not repenting, when they're unwilling to turn? And I do want to say something real quick here. I, I, we can't spend the time on this that we need. Forgiveness is not enabling. You can be in a very destructive circumstance, a job, a relationship, and if you think forgiving is letting them abuse you again and again and again, that's enabling. Jesus is talking about something different. Call me this week and let's talk through that. Forgiveness is different than enabling. Once you step out of a relationship that's enabling, then your heart can begin to process towards God's calling of forgiveness, but it's different. Friends, I want to give you another, and this will be a little longer story, 
but it's about the challenge of authentic gospel-centered forgiveness. I came across a book recently called The Class of 65, the subtitle, A Student, A Divided Town, and The Long Road to Forgiveness. It's the story of a man named Greg Whitcamper. Turns out his dad was a pastor, and the dad moved his whole family to America's Georgia in the late 50s to become part of the Koinonia Farm. Now, I've mentioned Koinonia Farm before. This was a, an agricultural, essentially, commune founded by a man named Clarence Jordan. Now, old Clarence, he'd gotten him an agriculture degree from University of Georgia. Then he went on to the Southern Baptist Seminary to get a PhD in Greek New Testament. And he moved to rural Georgia to start what he would call a demonstration plot for the kingdom of Jesus. They would apply and teach modern farm techniques. They would develop co-op distribution for better financing. And they would live out the gospel modeling interracial reconciliation in the 50s in southwest Georgia. And they did that. Eventually, you've heard the stories from me before, a real estate developer would give away everything he had in hopes of rebuilding his marriage. Millard and Linda Fuller would move to America's and be part of the Koinonia Farms. And out of what God did in their lives would come Habitat for Humanity. Friends, I've told you these stories of Koinonia as an expression of the gospel, and they're amazing. But for a kid growing up, turns out it would be really hard to grow up there. You see, even for the children, the clan brought intimidation, boycotts, and bombs. That's what Greg grew up with. Here's a memory of the third grade for him. In the spring of 1956, as Greg neared the end of the third grade, he faced a boy who'd been badgering him since he started school there. The classmate followed Greg into the restroom and started calling him names. Now, there was nothing unusual about that, but this time, the belligerence escalated. As Greg stood at the trough urinal, he felt a sharp jab of pain in the lower back, and then another. The boy was kidney-punching him. Stop it, Bobby, Greg warned several times. The punches kept coming. Quickly, Greg finally turned around and smacked Bobby in the chest. The blow took Bobby by surprise, and he tumbled, yeah, right into the trough. And that was the third grade for him. By Greg's senior year, pressure had mounted in the community. There was a court-ordered desegregation of the high school for Greg's senior year. Greg purposefully rode to that first day of the year with four African-American friends who would be the first students of color to ever be students in that school. Through the year, his locker would be ransacked. He would be cornered between classes. He'd be tripped and punched and spat on. Through it all, Greg did not swing back. And that seemed to only enrage his angry classmates. Finally, graduation. As Greg crossed the stage to receive his diploma, what a moment. The auditorium stood up and booed and heckled. Outside after the ceremony, Greg and his black friends encountered a brick-throwing mob. Happy graduation. All for a young man who simply stood up to do 
right to live out what he had been taught and heard and understood about the calling of Jesus. Well, you can imagine, after that, a few days later, Greg hit the road and never looked back. Over the years, he'd visit Koinonia to see family and friends, but he skipped Americus and never looked up any of his classmates. He was done. Eventually, Greg would see as much of the world as he wanted and settle down as a successful real estate developer in West Virginia. He'd move his parents there and eventually bury them there in West Virginia. He'd go through several marriages, life was tough, and avoid thinking about America's high school because there was nothing back there for him until one day the real estate developer goes to pick up his mail and he finds something very strange. It's an invitation to his 40th high school reunion. Greg leafed through the rest of the mail and he noticed a familiar name on a return address of a letter in that same collection. The name was David Morgan. He opened the letter. I expect you will be quite surprised to hear from me, it began. If you remember me at all, it will likely be for unpleasant reasons. Throughout the last 40 plus years, the letter continued, I have occasionally thought of you and those dark days you endured at our hands. As I matured, I became more and more ashamed and wished I had taken a different stand back then. Greg stared at the letter and felt his throat tighten. We all know that some hurts never go away. In everyone's memory, I suspect, there's a, something hidden, something dark, something no one wants to think about when the lights go out and the sleep won't come. For Greg, it was America's high school senior year. It was the most painful chapter of his back pages, and they were pulling him into that past, whether he wanted to go or not. How do you think Greg felt in that moment? How would he respond? What would it cost him to respond with whatever choice he made? You know, we sometimes have choices we can make, but those choices have consequences. You can make choices, but you can't choose your consequences. Friends, Class of 65 is a great book and a very real book. In Greg's story, the next day he got three more letters. All three were classmates apologizing for their part of Greg's high school experience. Greg and his wife would go to that reunion, that 40th high school reunion, and he'd speak with those four students and be the center of attention at the main event on Saturday night. I dug into the book this week, I'll give you my motivation, looking for a great story about reconciliation and blessing growing out of forgiveness being received and given. Turns out, there was no one moving story that would inspire you to run home and call someone and spill your guts and you turn your world all pink and sparkly. That's not life. At least not as I live it and as I walk through it with people. As it turns out, Greg had spent time over 40 years forgiving his classmates. Memories would come back to him in the night. He would play out forgiving them. He had moved on, certainly, but when the memories bubbled up, he popped the bubbles with forgiveness one by one rather than choosing to protect and cultivate and grow those wounds. Nice little wound. Stay angry and hurt and mad. No doubt, 
Greg needed to remove himself from that dysfunctional situation. But what did he do with the recurring meditations of his heart once removed? There's the gospel at work. The other man, David, he first had to come to see his actions as a debt owed to Greg and to God. As a student, he was just going along with the crowd. And let me point out, the crowd was classmates, adults, and churches. But as he matured and as he came to see the debt he owed Greg, he realized he needed to repent and apologize, owning his sin, his debt to Greg. The reunion simply offered David a chance to reach out and ask. Greg invited several kids who'd grown up through Koinonia with him and who'd suffered the same abuse to join him in going to the reunion. Several refused. They were done with Americus and not going back. They were done with that pain. At the reunion itself, several of Greg's classmates would speak to him directly. They would speak of their debt and apologize for several that process meant realizing that their sin had been supported by church culture. It took stepping away from that and coming to faith in Jesus, who taught his followers to pray, forgive us our debts, and then finding a gospel fellowship that would call them to turn from sin, the sin that they had simply absorbed without thinking from their culture and family. On the big night of the reunion, Greg saw one classmate along alone and at the edge of the crowd. He remembered being punched by that guy, now a grown man, 40 years later. In the spirit of the moment, Greg crossed the room, reached out his hand. The two shook and spoke with each other. After a time, the crowd would catch up with Greg and distract him with new conversation. The other man would simply disappear into the night. The punch never got mentioned. There was no one story in this book. There were many stories. There were different stories. Some led to healing and reconciliation. Some festered, even led to more and different pain. Friends, I want to tell you something. Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he teaches that to everyone who will follow him. Oh, but what about the person who's not asking for forgiveness? Forgive us our debtors as we forgive those who owe us. It doesn't say we forgive those who've asked to be forgiven. It doesn't say forgive those who've stopped wounding us with their sin and meanness. Forgive us our debts. Jesus taught that. And I want to ask you this. Has that prayer, if you've prayed it, we have already done it once this morning, has that prayer been offered, and if so, how? Forgive us our debts? Has it been answered? It has. But not because you repented. Not because you're going to try harder to be better. But that prayer is answered at the cross. Jesus goes to the cross to forgive us our sins. While we were yet sinners. Christ Jesus died for us. We have been forgiven by Jesus even before we have asked. The discovery of grace is receiving that, not earning it. Friends, 
When we think of forgiveness and the gospel of God's grace, we need to realize that forgiveness begins with God at the cross for us at great cost. That that gift is received by faith from the cross to us. It grows in our life as fruit of that new life in Christ. The Greek word metamorpho, that growing, metamorphosizing. And then Jesus calls us to pass it on as a gift. Having received, we can give. The friend who is in my worship team is living a fruitful and bountiful life in the midst of challenges. She got to a place where she could say, I forgive you, because she'd experienced the grace of her own forgiveness. It's hard to give something that you haven't had yourself, but that's the gospel. This day receive, so that tomorrow you can give. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your kindness to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. And because you have preemptively gone to the cross, paid the debt, we are free to live into the richness of your grace and then to give away that same richness. We know that the challenge of living this out can take time, can dig deep, and yet we thank you. You've not asked us to do it out of our own strength or emotional resources, but that you've called us to yourself and that you're leading us in this journey and that we're not alone in it. Father, I pray for everyone who hears this sermon this morning that they might rest deep in the gospel for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And yet as we see the debt that you've canceled for us, so work in our lives that we might extend of freedom and forgiveness to others. As you transform our lives, help us to step out of enabling dysfunctional situations. But we know you'll always be at work in us to pass on the grace you've given us. Fill us with great hope, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, and all of God's people said together, amen. Amen. A new hymn, perhaps, in our experience, it's number 638, as you're able, stand and let's sing the words and the truth of forgiveness to music.
receive the benediction, the blessing of our God from the book of Hebrews. And now may the God of shalom, peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Amen.